Welcome to the Jesus Image Podcast. We're going to talk again. I'm going to close and tidy up the baptism of the Lord Jesus that we started a couple weeks ago. And then I'm going to move into uh, his time in the wilderness. Is this okay? And then from there, we'll get into the teachings of Jesus. And by that time, we should be moving in. I can't get to every teaching, by the way. So (laughs) I'll do my best to get to as much as possible. But we'll go through the Beatitudes. And we'll go through some of the key components of what the Lord taught. And by that time, we should be at Easter. And uh, we're going to obviously move into the Passion death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord that is one continual motion. Amen? The early church did not have like a Good Friday and then move into thinking about the resurrection on Sunday. It was a one continual flow. There was no separation between the two. Amen? All right. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit one more time to help us. Holy Spirit, teach us your wonderful word. In the name of Jesus, let every heart and mind be attentive and ready to receive from you. Amen. Amen. How many of you remember the teaching I did to open this teaching on Epiphany or the baptism of the Lord when I connected Genesis 1 and the baptism? Do you remember that? Okay, if you don't, I get it just need to study harder and be more anointed if you forgot. That's okay. I can deal with it. Um, John 1 actually is another parallel text to Genesis 1 and the baptismal account. So much of what we read, for instance, in the Gospel of John, who is my personal favorite writer, Uh, And the reason that is, is because of the way in which he sees the Lord. We just left a meeting uh, the day before our event in uh, California. We flew out a little early. And we had a meeting with uh, some friends who are leaders. We met with uh, some of the circuit rider leadership. Francis came in. Michael Miller came in. Uh, Banning joined us from Jesus Culture by Zoom. We began to talk about... Yeah, let's, let's handle that phone there. Thank you. We began to talk about what we're all burning for and sensing. Amazingly, as I looked at the room, they were all leaders of local churches or ministry families who are basically churches who just need to jump off the cliff and say this is a church we all no this is a hub of his presence yeah that's called church okay no this is a base okay are there people there Uh uh-huh you take communion Uh uh-huh you teach the word yeah that's called church okay but it's okay we all take time to get there it took me i never got there so pastor benny just came and announced that this was a church i still have not had the opportunity to formally say we are planting a church here But as we began to speak, we began to talk about uh, where the church is 
and what she needs, what she must repent of and return to. Unfortunately, we have offered a partial definition of repentance. Specifically, I'd say in the last 25 years of revival teaching, we have uh, partially communicated what the scriptures teach about repentance. And so what we've really whittled it down to, with good motives, I believe, is that it is just a change of mind. The problem with calling it a change of mind alone is that this generation just thinks, I just need to think a little differently. And then I'm good. But repentance in the scripture does include a change of mind, but you have to understand what the word mind means in scripture. Scripturally speaking, when you begin to think differently, your life is different. Because the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his so is he. This generation sees thinking as a mental exercise. But when the thoughts are a heart issue, when they are at a heart level, the heart, the scripture says, must be guarded. Why should the heart be guarded? What does the text say? For from it flow the issues of life. And that's why the scripture says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So repentance is not, well, I used to think that God didn't move, and now I think he does. I used to be cheap, but now I give. That's part of it. But repentance is a change of our entire life. And I'm so glad Ben touched on what he touched on last Sunday night, that this repentance should bear the fruit of a changed life that is visible. So evangelical Western Christianity has taught, if you're jacked up, just run to the altar, say the prayer, and you're good to go. The prayer is the fruit of your salvation. That is not in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying you can behave your way into the faith. You cannot. Salvation comes by grace through faith. Period. I, 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 I completely agree. You can't cleanse you. You can't scrub all the sin off you. You can't go on enough trips to Israel. You know, you can't get baptized six times in the Jordan. I've had people say, Pastor, on our Israel tour, will you baptize me in the Jordan? And I said, have you been baptized before? They go, yeah. I go, then no. The first one worked. My God. Imagine if you told your eight-year-old, you're going to get circumcised. Dad, I already was. You're going again. What would he say? <laughs> you tell your 15-year-old that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Every Israel tour, people are baptized for the ninth time. 
Just go to the Jordan, splash it on your face, do whatever you got to do to feel it. But the first one worked. <laughs> if it was real, if your heart was burning, if you came for Jesus, you were buried and raised again. It worked. Okay, so salvation isn't about what we do. There aren't enough pilgrimages available to remove our sin. Amen. Okay, absolutely. You cannot behave your way into God's kingdom. Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. So it's bigger than a behavioral shift. There's an, actually, an actual death, burial, and resurrection that takes place through faith. And it's God's grace that empowers us and leads us to the cross. Nobody just decides to behold Christ crucified. You don't just get up one day and go, I think that'd be a good idea. I think it'd be a good idea just to stop being part of Satan's kingdom. No, it is a move of grace that occurs by the Spirit. And once we behold the Lord and see him rightly as the Lamb of God, we accept him by faith and by God's mercy he washes our sin away. Beyond that, he comes to live inside of us and makes our bodies his home. That's what Paul tells the Corinthians. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Remember that the next time somebody from the pulpit encourages you to not live a sexually pure life. Your body, not just your heart, your body belongs to the Holy Spirit. It is agnostic to think that God doesn't care about our bodies. That was never Christian thought, that the body is bad and the soul and the spirit are good. That God doesn't care about our bodies. I remember one guy had an affair and Pastor Benny talked to him about it, confronted him and the guy said, well that wasn't me. And Pastor Benny said, well who was it? He said, uh, it was my body, my flesh. The Lord goes, or Pastor Benny goes, well I don't care what party you did it, you did it. You need to repent. That is agnostic teaching that, 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 that teaches that God doesn't care about the body. If he did not care about the body, he would have never assumed a body. Does God care about the unborn? Jesus proved it. He lived in the womb of his mother. Does Jesus care about the poor? He ministered to them in a body. He healed bodies. Do you get it? Does he care about the sick? Of course. He touched lepers. Jesus cares about our body. So much so that he wept at Lazarus' tomb. And he wept at the widow of Nain's casket. Not just because, this is, it's, this is true, partially one of the reasons he wept at Lazarus' tomb is because he loved him. Oh, that makes me so happy. I love that verse in John's gospel. 
that Lazarus is the one he loved. He loved him and he loved Martha and loved Mary. Oh, could anything be more beautifully told about us that the Lord finds room in Holy Scripture to tell everyone forever that he loved that family? So that's part of the reason he wept. Part of the reason he raised the widow of Nain's son is because he cared about that mother's grief. Everybody, has raise your hands if you have in the last five years lost a loved one. Look, it's most of the room. How many of you, just let's just be honest, how many of you are still feeling the grief of that loss? Look, about a, can you keep your hands up? About a hundred people. What I can tell you unequivocally is that Jesus cares about your pain. The Bible teaches us that Jesus cares about our pain, but beyond the actual words telling us that he cares about our pain, the reason I can tell you he cares about your pain is because he wept. He came and wept with a widow who had already lost her husband and just lost her son. Aren't you grateful that you serve a Jesus who cares about your feelings? Aren't you grateful that you serve a Jesus who has become one with our pain? That's what Paul says. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed unto his death, if by any means I might attain the resurrection of the dead, Paul writes. Jesus cares about us. Are you glad that Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus when he fell off his high horse after killing Stephen and persecuting the church. Are you grateful that you serve a Jesus who said, Paul or Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus saw no daylight between himself and his church. And I'm so thankful this morning that today Jesus sees no daylight between us and him. We are more one with Jesus if you're born again. And I want everyone to limit movement, please, while I'm teaching. If you need to go to the restroom, we'll hand out diapers. No. (laughs) That'll be next. If you can hold it, and I know you can, you're such a big little boy, hold, hold it and just wait till I'm done. All right? If you cannot, then go. But if you're, if it's possible, or you can go before and after service. Amen? The word of God is powerful. I said the word of God is powerful. I'm not sure we realize how powerful the word is. You know, I, I, I just taught at House of Bethany. <laughs> you like that, huh? You like that. Oh, did he? I didn't see that. I was focused on Jesus. Well, he was not. All right. It was a joke. All right. I just taught at House of Bethany, and I wanted to teach on receiving the word, preparing to receive the word. There is a way to prepare yourself before you walk into this room. Some do, some do not. Some have settled for the preaching of the sermon being our preparation. But the wise are ready to receive the word before it's preached. That's what I learned as a little boy. 
I'd sit right back here where Ken and Deb are, where the team is. I'd sit right in here, ready to receive the word. Now, most of the crowd doesn't do that, but what if we change the game here? What if this was the church that didn't depend on Pastor Michael to prepare their hearts? What if the hearts and the soil were already prepared? Then the preaching of the word, according to Mark 4, would actually take root and bear fruit. That's God's desire. See, we have this thought in the church that Jesus is running a socialistic do-it-fair campaign. That's not the type of king he is. The reason he doesn't do that is because he's aware of his worth. He's aware of his worth while not being prideful about it. If he were not aware of his worth, he would never say, I am the bread of God. Who talks like that? He would never say, I am resurrection and I am life. You say, I'm Amy. Well, that's cool. Jesus says, I am resurrection and life. Who else talks that way? Now, he's either incredibly prideful, confused, or telling the truth. If he's telling the truth, he is aware. There is a self-awareness regarding his nature. Think of these words. If any man believe in me, <laughs> he will never die. Could you imagine if you went to Chili's or Starbucks and you said, hi, I'm Jessica. And the, the barista said, hi, if you believe in me, you'll never die. <laughs> What's your name? What if it said resurrection and life on the name tag? You would think you are crazy. What a statement. Jesus says it without hesitation, without being prideful. Why? He's aware of his worth. Okay. I'm not sure we realize the worth of the declared holy word of God. I'm not sure we realize its capabilities. God spoke the worlds into existence. Do you think his word is powerful enough to lift your head out of the miry clay this morning? But if you come in with hardness of heart, with unforgiveness, with a flippant attitude, and I'm not saying you are, I'm just trying to help you. With a flippant attitude toward the scriptures that are the revealed breath of God. Remember when he speaks, he must breathe. And the scriptures connect in Isaiah's, uh, in the book of Isaiah, that the breath and the word of God are connected. Well, you can't speak without breathing. Therefore, when you properly receive the scriptures, you're receiving the very presence of God. But in the West, we just divide it all up. Well, that's the preaching part. The singing part is for his presence. The giving part is about money. And when we leave, that's the evangelism part. 
That's that side of Jesus. The communion part is, uh, well, that's too mysterious for me to figure out. I'm just going to go through that one. Instead of realizing that it is all the Lord. You don't, we don't put a scalpel to the Lord. I can commune with Jesus while I'm leading somebody else to Jesus. I can sit under the teaching of Scripture and feel His wonderful presence settle my soul. And the older I get, the more I depend on Holy Scripture. In my prayer life, there's much more Scripture being meditated on than in my early days. I am more grateful for the Word of God than ever before. There is a way to walk in and receive the word. I want to challenge this body to prepare your own heart by the Spirit to sit under the word before you get here. Now once you're here, there's a way to receive. It's actually in the scripture. And it's found in many places. But one of my favorite places this is found is in Mary's account at Bethany. Don't turn there. But in Luke chapter 10, the Bible teaches that Mary comes to the Lord. Martha's working. No, I'm joking. I often tell the staff, Martha, Martha, relax. Martha's working, and what is Mary doing? Sitting at his feet, hearing his word. Okay, that tells me something. The humble and the humble alone truly hear his word. You don't get to stand up. You've got to hear me spiritually now. I'm not talking about your physical posture. You don't get to stand up and be tall when the great rabbi is releasing his word. The only way to receive his word is from the ground. One of the reasons for division in the church that's only becoming more and more prevalent because everyone with Facebook feels like they're a preacher. It's true. You ask, what are your qualifications? I'm my qualification. Okay. Who has endorsed you? Who has commissioned you? Since when did the church say, worthy vessel? Where are the fathers and mothers who say, we believe in you. We release you into the ministry. This is the pattern we see in the book of Acts. Paul himself, after preaching, waited for the right hand of fellowship from the apostles. But today, if you have a social media page, you believe you are deserving of the church listening to you. Well, that freaks me out. That freaks me out because you can just come up with your own idea about God that day and just expect people to listen to you.
one of the reasons for such division is because rather than posturing our hearts before the light of the Spirit and taking our motives prior to hearing the Word of God and saying, Lord, search me and know me, look into the depths of who I am and reveal to me whatever you need to reveal to me because I am about to hear your holy word that formed the worlds and according to the book of Colossians, you still uphold all things by the word of your power. Do you know if it wasn't for God's mercy, his word might just fry us. I'm not sure we realize the power of the spoken word. God upholds all things by the word of his power. Hebrews and Colossians teaches us that. And here we are. Little pieces of dust in need of fresh bread. And when this holy book is opened, I wonder how ready the soil is. I want us to be so ready. And so I talked to Bethany. I'll get to the baptism in a moment. I talked to House of Bethany. It's our worship track within Jesus School. And I said, I want you to be, be, be prepared to take the platform. To the media teams, it's so easy to go, well, I just run cable. No, you are a worker in the house of the living Christ who is present, you are valuable to Jesus. Maybe the crowds aren't looking in your direction, but the crowds of heaven are. You have the eye of the Lord. Don't the Psalms say it's better to be a doorkeeper in your house for a day? Better is one day in your courts, the scripture says, than a thousand elsewhere? The Lord knows this. If this were my choice, if I were the heavenly CEO of this ministry, if this were my choice, I would not be the guy behind the pulpit. That is not what I asked for. I did ask the Lord to use me. Be careful. Because he could give a rip about your gift set. And what you prefer. In fact, he has a PhD and calling you in a direction that goes against the grain of your natural giftings. It's not about people seeing us. It's not about being noticed by man. No, it's really not. It's about shaking hands at the door, loving the person in front of you, knowing that you are in fellowship with Jesus at the same time. And he is applauding you. It's a wonderful thing. If worship teams can arise like that, if media teams can arise like that, and I, I asked our team at Bethany, or I should say our student body, I said, how clean is your heart before you begin doing what you do? Now, I haven't looked at my notes one time this morning. It's not to say that's bad. I have them. I do believe in preparing. But it is to say that if you live a life filled with the word, it'll spill out of you. That's how you want to be. 
You want to be prepared, ready. Ralph Wilkerson told me this. For those of you who don't know him, he pastored a wonderful church called Melody Land during the Jesus Movement, the Charismatic Renewal. Was the first one to bring Catherine Kuhlman to the West Coast there in Anaheim, who I just found out actually used the building we're using for Jesus 24. Yep, amazing, amazing what the Lord's doing. And Ralph told me this years ago. He said, Michael, remember to prepare your heart more diligently than your sermon. That's not to negate the need to teach the scriptures and be prepared. However, you can have a prepared sermon and a polluted heart and the sermon will be limited. I want us to walk in dripping. I want us to walk in having already repented. I don't want our worship team taking a platform if they haven't forgiven each other. You understand? I don't, I don't want our team directing in the truck if there's an ought between them and a family member. I want true holiness for us. I want the weeds gone. I want the soil to have already been processed. May the presence and the word of God till our heart soil. May the moisture of his presence rain on our hearts so that when I get up to preach, the word is received according to Mark 4 and not stolen by the devil. My preaching will never fully deliver you from the cares of this life. My preaching will never fully deliver you of the love of money and the cares of this world that choke out the seed of the word. It's you getting into that great and holy Colosseum called the prayer closet before you get here. It's in that Colosseum where God takes little kids in the spirit and turns them into gladiators who slay the beast of the enemy. This is the place that all heaven watches and you begin to learn to offer your body, to tame the passions of the flesh. If you... You can't stay in your prayer closet for 30 minutes and you want to run a ministry. It doesn't work like that. If you can't tame your members, tame your tongue. You cannot claim intimacy with Jesus, to claim to be filled with the Spirit and treasure His Word and use your tongue in a way that He does not approve. Because the Scripture says, shall bitter water and sweet water come from the same spring? I'm telling you, everything will change if you come in here ready. This is the spark. This is not the wildfire. You come in here dripping with oil, that spark will hit your heart, and God will change everything. Amen? That was a good intro. I think. All right, to close our teaching on the Jordan. (laughs) 
when we celebrate the baptism of Jesus, we, we celebrate the light of God. The church has been celebrating this for 2,000 years. And I believe there's a reason for that. In Mark chapter 1, let's turn there. We went there last time. John 1, verse 4. Oh, sorry, Mark 1. Thank you, babe. That's two becoming one. <laughs> Mark 1, 4. You all there? John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. The baptism, baptism in water, as we said last week, or two weeks ago, is a baptism unto repentance. Therefore, repentance is wonderful. I said, therefore, repentance is wonderful. Now, Mother Vasilia Schlink said, she has a book called Repentance, the Joy-Filled Life. Continual repentance that is a daily lifestyle will lead you to continual joy. And the continual reception of the grace of the Holy Spirit. Now when I use the word grace, I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not, I'm not, uh, only speaking of uh, what is that acronym they use? God's riches. I don't know. I, I grew up in charismatic church. I should know that. What is it again? Somebody, David, you know it. The raised assemblies of God. Okay. Anyways, unmerited favor is what most would teach. Now, true, it is unmerited favor. It is the forgiveness of sins that we don't earn. But we know Jesus took part in this baptism, don't we? So here's the question I want to ask again that I asked two weeks ago. Is Jesus in need of the forgiveness of sin? No. Please say no. I'm going to ask that again. Or I'm going to start a catechism and you're all going to attend. All right. Is Jesus in need of the forgiveness of sin? No. No. Good. All right. Does Jesus need to repent? So why was he baptized? As I said before, to identify with you. Fully. And with the human race. That's wonderful that we serve a Savior who comes to fully, not partially, identify with us. That is why Jesus was not, uh, he didn't just appear on earth at 30 years old. He has fully experienced the entire process of the human existence, which is to be born, 
to trust upon parents. That's why the scripture says, he's speaking to the father, I trusted upon you, the psalmist writes, even upon my mother's breast. In other words, while I was dependent upon Mary, Jesus was trusting upon the father at the same time. Amazing. So, in the natural, Jesus is being taken care of by Mary, yet while she's holding him, he's holding her. Amazing. So, while he's in a manger, he's still ordering the cosmos. Oh, man, you already slapped slap someone. That is crazy. But it's true. He never stopped being God. He never stopped being the divine administrator within the economy of the Godhead. The Father, even while Jesus is in a body, the Trinity, I should say the Trinity, is fully intact, fully functioning as the Trinity has always functioned, even while Jesus is incarnate in a body. Wild. Wild. So, while he's giving people bread, he's still the bread of life. <laughs> when he asked the disciples, do you have any food? Have you caught any fish? He's still food for our soul. Did he really mean when he told the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, while he's sitting on a well, the well sitting on a well, don't you see it? He's the well of life, the wellspring of life, he's sitting on a well. Did he really mean when he said, I'm thirsty? Yes, he did, fully man. He meant it. But then he tells her about a water that will spring forth within you. That if you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. He's talking about his presence by the Holy Spirit. So he can be thirsty and the one who quenches our thirst at the same time. Amazing. So he goes into the water to identify with us and something glorious happens. This is what I want you to see. When he goes into the water, John's gospel says something. Don't turn there for the sake of time, but it's in there, I promise you. John's gospel says that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, listen to the language, alighting upon him like a dove. So we all think that God has a dove cage in heaven. And that this dove flew down. Right out of the sky. That's not what happened. The Holy Spirit manifested upon him, the third person of the Godhead, upon him in the form of a dove, alighting upon him. Say light. light. Say it again. Light. One more time. Light. Now Epiphany is actually a celebration of the baptism of Jesus and the light of the Holy Spirit. That tells me something. That the God who spoke, let there be light, while the waters were present, as the Holy Spirit is moving, is telling the world that the Word, 
God's very speaking, just like Genesis 1, who has gone into the waters, just like the Spirit hovered over the water in Genesis 1. As God spoke light, because some of the original text doesn't read, let there be, it just says light. Here we see the Word of God receiving the light of the Spirit upon him, and now we see the presence and the connection, listen carefully, listen carefully, between, between the baptism of repentance and the light of the Holy Spirit. The repentant are filled with light. We are children of the light. We are children of the day, the scripture says, who labor in the night. We are not children of the night who labor in the day. We are children of the light who work while it is day, but we labor in darkness, yes, because we are children of the day. Children of the light. The ones who clean up their messes, the ones who confess our sin, receive the grace, the joyful experience of remission of sin. David talked about how miserable he was in the Psalms when he failed to confess his sin. He said he felt it in his bones. He felt it in his body. Every ounce of his being felt sick. And then he talks about, oh, the joy of those who God does not accredit their sin to. He talks about the joy in that psalm of confessing his sin and the joy it brought to him. So you always see in an atmosphere of holy repentance you will always see the divine light of the Spirit. This is a house of repentance. And I'm not ashamed to say it. We have become in the last 20 years more interested in signs and wonders than making sure our heart is right before the Lord. But there's a beauty that comes. You'll never see the absence of light where there is an atmosphere of repentance. It's glorious. I said it's glorious. You might say, well, I don't really care about it. I haven't done all that much. Well, D Jesus did nothing and still identified. Don't you love him? I said, don't you love him? Hallelujah. Let me give you some verses and then I'll pray with you. We'll take communion. John 9, 5. I want you to see the connection now between his baptism and these types of, this type of language. John 9, 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John 8:12 Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, "I am the Say it like you mean it. I am the of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, 
but have the light of life. My friend Nick Brent, who uh, I'm sure some of his family's watching right now, they tune in a lot. When we met on Thursday with, with some leaders, he said, you know, we've been looking at and studying what Gen Z is really asking for. And it's amazing that what they're asking for, as we study it and survey and research this, as a youth movement that they are, as we study this, we are finding and we discover that whatever you guys are doing in a Jesus image meeting is exactly what our research has shown they are asking for. It was no shock to me on Sunday night when on the panel with Brother Yoon and Pastor Benny and, and John Kilpatrick and Dean Becker. When I said, if you're under 25, get up here. It was 70% of the room. No lasers, no smoke. There'll never be smoking here as long as I'm pastoring. There was none of that. No neon lights, really. There's no, not the next best lighting design. Just a wooden cross, a drawing of Jesus. And they're here by the thousands. What's happening to them? They're leaving darkness and coming into the light. They're being given the chance to repent. And they're sick of the darkness. They want the light of the world. John 12, 46. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me shall not abide in darkness. Hallelujah. Darkness is a it's a dangerous thing. It's interesting when Estella, that woman, walked up to me Friday night, unable to see. She was trying to touch my face and she was bump touching my elbow. She could not move three feet in my direction to get to me. She was holding on to her children, reaching out for me. She wanted to touch my face. Just, I don't know why, <laughs> she did. She, she, she couldn't get to me. And such is a life in darkness. We tread our own path, have no idea what's on each side of the path. We don't know if the path is narrow or wide or crooked or where it's leading. And that's why the Bible says this, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. The Bible says there is a way, help me, Ludi, very softly. There is a way that seems right to a man. Listen to the language. There's a way for many of you in this room this morning that seems right to you, but who are you? Think about that. Have you ever thought about the vast size of the cosmos? <laughs> We just took a class on the cosmos in seminary, Jess and I. 
a cosmogony class. And it, it's amazing that the universe is still expanding. That there is light being received to the earth right now from different stars and galaxies that takes millions of years to travel. Now I'd like to compare our own individualism to the vast creation of God. I'd like to compare our opinions and this four-inch wide piece of ugly mushroom called a brain. Do you think there's enough in there to lead you to disagree with the creator himself? You say, oh, you're not talking about him. You're just teaching from the word. Friends, this book weathered Nero, Arian, Arius, I should say, the Arian controversy, emperor after emperor. This book weathered the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians. This book weathered Hitler himself and millions across the European continent. How about the communists in Russia who made it their aim to destroy the very thought of this book, yet one of the chief opponents of this book, whoever lived, his home is now a Bible printing center. And the Bible says, let God be found true and every man be a liar. The holy word of God has been preserved, sustained, and did you know that Bible sales increased during COVID by 400%? This is still the most sold book in the history of the world. Now, please don't take this as an insult. I'm going with the word of God over you. I'm going with the word of God over me. What do we know anyways? Our opinions change with a single post. True or not. We are like the wind. When you're double-minded, you're unstable in all your ways, the Bible says. Tossed to and fro with every doctrine and every thought. Let's be honest. How much have your opinions changed already? Anybody here? Don't lie in the house of God. Anybody here over 50? Come on, better put that hand up. Oh, man, I'm going to do a, an altar call for the fear of the Lord. Lips free from deceit, the Bible says, is the fear of the Lord. How much have your thoughts changed since you were 20? Those over 50, thank God they've changed. How many of you have changed your thoughts since you were 16? Huh? How about since you were five? Anyone still drinking from a bottle? There was a day where cigarettes were good for you, evidently. Now they're not. There was a day <laughs> where all you could eat, you were allowed to eat, is bacon and fat, and you'd slim down, yes, but you'd die a year later. <laughs> Thoughts change all the time. Anybody now that you have children go, man, my mom and dad were right about that. 
oh, how stupid I was when I thought they were wrong. Are you really? Hear me. Are you honestly, everybody up in the balcony, everybody down here, are you honestly willing to stake your eternity on your opinions that have shifted every other month? My encouragement to you is for you to put your trust in Christ Jesus who even came. Jesus himself knew what the scripture said about him, the Bible teaches, and he yielded to what was written of him in the scroll. That's what the Bible says. A body you have prepared for me Speaking of prior to the incarnation, as he's ready to come down, he says to the Father, sacrifice and offering you have not desired. Yea, it is written of me in the scroll. Behold, I come to do your will, O God. Jesus knew what the prophet said of him. Jesus knew what the scripture said about Judas. And he let it happen because the scriptures had to be fulfilled. Friend, listen. With every head bowed and eye closed. Listen to me this morning, please. I beg you. I beg you. I beg you to see that the proof of our salvation is the life we live. The fruit of salvation is a life of repentance. For those of you who are weary and heavy laden and beaten down and broken and depressed, come out of the darkness this morning. Come out of the darkness that you cannot trust and come into the light of Jesus. You might be walking down a path that seems right to you, but the scripture says the end, the end is destruction and death. I want to give everyone in this room a chance this morning to step into the privilege and the joy of not holding on to your sin. Step into the joy of repenting. Now, you might say, well, I've already done this or that. I've already prayed that prayer. I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you, are you free from sin? It doesn't mean you don't sin ever. It just means, are you truly free? Are you living a life of condemnation? You know, you know. I, I cannot do this for you, but you know. And this is the time to be honest. Are you weary? Are you carrying the weight of the world on you? You should not. Are there issues in your life that you've given your body to? And Jesus clearly says that these acts of the flesh, this life of the flesh, the fruits of the flesh, those who live such a life will not inherit the kingdom. Michael, what are you inviting me to today? A life in the light. And that's what John said is people don't come into the light because of their sin that is invisible in the darkness. The only issue with darkness is that it leads you to death.
but Jesus has come as the light of the world to uproot, uproot that sin and replace it with himself. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can like and subscribe to help us continue to reach people around the world with the gospel. Give today at jesusimage.tv forward slash give. You can also join us in person or online every Sunday at Jesus Image Church. For more information on Jesus Image, events, Jesus School, and resources, visit jesusimage.tv.